This is episode number 42, and it is titled Eclectic Jesus. Now, um, I know that I've been just a little bit absent, man, and I I really apologize for that. I don't have a great excuse. I had a couple of podcast interviews that, um, for whatever reason, we just couldn't connect. We, We just couldn't make it happen, and so a couple of those fell through, and then Gina and I went on vacation, right? We went to Eureka Springs, Arkansas, which is kind of, uh, it's kind of our holy land, you know? We we absolutely love it. And so we did that, which was just amazing. And um, yeah, just so I've been busy uh, with several different things. And so anyway, I'm back and I, I really appreciate you uh, spending this time with me. And that kind of brings me to the next thing really that I uh, that I, that I kind of wanted to talk to you about, and that is, and I petition you with this often, but I'd like to do it in perhaps a little bit more passionate manner. Um, I really would like your help in expanding the listenership, or at least the knowledge of the existence of, right, this podcast. And I think the easiest way to do that is simply by you, and I'm, I'm asking you to share this podcast on your social media platforms. You know, you don't have to share, like, an episode, but maybe you could share the logo, or you could put something about it in your status, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is that you're really good at. <laughs> maybe all three, right? Um, let your people know that this podcast exists. Uh, I, I really would appreciate it, and I'm... I'm actually asking you to do that um, instead of, uh, well, usually I'm asking, but I'm, I'm asking in a, in a more intense manner. Can you see my furrowed brow? And <laughs> right now, really, man, I really, so here's one of the things I feel pretty passionate, um, pretty convicted about this podcast. It means a lot to me. I love doing it. And so one of the things that I've been moved to do by the divine is to increase my diligence and my intensity uh, about the podcast. And so I'm going to get a lot more diligent about creating episodes and content that helps to expand you and your relationship with Christ and your relationship with um, the earth and the universe and all that kind of stuff. And I could really use your assistance in that. So if you could help me uh, just simply by doing that. Also, if you don't follow the Black Sheep Experience on those platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, the podcast has an account on all three of those. And if you're not following, uh, why? (laughs) Right? Uh, Just jump on there, follow me, and let me know, please, if you would, that you are uh, following the podcast. And for those of you that share uh, the podcast on your stuff, I'll be watching and um, yeah, maybe we'll create some kind of a uh, 
an award for that. I don't know. Anyway, but thank you so much, guys. I sincerely appreciate it. All right, so what I'd like to talk to you about today is um, an eclectic faith, right? Now, if you're not familiar with that term, really what that means is just more of a blended tradition where you're not necessarily compromising who you believe to be deity, but you're allowing other faiths and other traditions and the words of their sages and prophets uh, the wisdom found there, you're allowing that to have an influence in your own life, in your own practice. You know, what's interesting is, and I find this to be really true, the religious trauma um, of this age is we're no longer shielded with ignorance or isolated by lack of knowledge. We are forced to face the ideas and wisdom of the faith and spirituality of nearly all religions, right? Or at least the vast majority of them. And we have uh, regrettably found them uh, delicious, right? Um, we have heard their ideologies, theologies, their wisdom, and they've been tasty, right? They've made an impact. Um, they've been inspirational to us. And the problem with this is, for so many of us, we've been taught that anything that doesn't bear the Christian label is forbidden. And we have either hidden ourselves from the world, isolated by fear, or we have admitted that other sages of other faiths have said things that are intensely wise. Uh, interestingly enough, this is upsetting to so many. You know, as I have expanded my ideas and allowed the wisdom of other paths to at least have the opportunity to communicate with me, I have been amazed, inspired, moved, challenged, and changed uh, by the words and the wisdom found in the teachings of other traditions. Um, Buddhism, Taoism, various forms of paganism, Sufism, Hinduism. I have been touched by so many of their insights, and it hasn't lessened my devotion to my God, to my Lord, Jesus the Christ. However, it has opened up new thought for me, and perhaps a more eclectic approach to the divine. It's caused me to... I don't know, smooth or soften words and ideas and ideologies and theologies that at one time were intensely uh, rigid. And it's been enlightening to allow the words of Buddha, for instance, to speak to me and not allowing the wisdom found there to feel like a threat to the already existing love and devotion that I have for my God, to allow the Tao Te Ching to perhaps expand the thoughts within me and the way that I interpret the wisdom writing and the scriptures of my own, uh, my own personal faith. Now, interestingly enough, this is very unsettling um, for some. For some, this is a damn betrayal, right, of their idea of God, the Bible, and Christianity, because you're really not allowed to fraternize with the ideas 
with the teachings, with the concepts, right, of, um, of competing religions. Um, that's kind of like a, a serious unwritten rule. So I, I guess what I find interesting about that is that so many within the Christian tradition, and certainly it's a mixed bag, uh, feel that any form of faith, including differing denominations um, that's different from their own personal tradition or the tradition superimposed or chosen, um, that those different faiths are wrong, even damnable. Uh, So in some strange and really very unhealthy way, they believe that they have it all figured out. There isn't, you know, any mystery left. There isn't any revelation or gnosis or enlightenment or expansion left for them to discover. However orthodox you believe yourself to be, uh, however much you think you follow the pure text of the scripture, there will always be, and there has been, um, certain ideas and practices that you either don't agree with or they are simply different than your ideas or practice. And within the Jesus tradition, which is, I think is an, an important word within the, or phrase, within the Jesus tradition, it's always been this way. There's always been a variety of beliefs. There's always been a variety of ideas, um, even about who Jesus is. You know, you and I, we live in, uh, my friend, Nar uh, Martinez, uh, who was a, a shaman and a Christian, um, said we, we have a very colonialized Christianity. So in other words, the faith that we have, for the most part, was given to us by those who came here, right, and created colonies. And their faith came to them from a very westernized world mindset, right, from England and, and uh, in Europe. And so most of the traditions that you and I have, in, in so many ways, they're not um, directly, they're not the direct offspring of the Hebraic, the Judaism, uh, uh, Judaism or whatever, the Jewish inspiration uh, from which our faith uh, sprang forth from, right? So the New Testament is full of history where different ideas and conflict and opposing views are, are documented. There's so many different ideas, and throughout history of this tradition, uh, this has always been so. Some drastically different, some wildly eclectic, some fanatical, some very passionate, ecstatic expressions of faith, some liturgical, others very ritualistic. So within Christianity, we have all these, in some cases, very extreme additions, um, aspects, branches of the faith. Within the Christian tradition, we have aspects or branches of the faith that have burned people at the stake just because they believe differently. Um, We have within the Christian tradition branches that burned witches right here in the United States. Uh, Branches um, 
that have been martyred for the faith, justifiably devoted and martyred for the faith. Um, within the tradition, there are branches that celebrate dead, deceased saints who visited villages and children. We have speaking in tongues. We have healings. We have penance. We have the Inquisition. We have the Pentecostal movement. We have Martin Luther and his polar opposite, John Calvin. So within the tr the Christian tradition, there are all these branches and offshoots and, and different ideas alive within one tradition. There are so many ideas within this one religion. You must know some are authentic and harmonious to the faith. Some are additions to it. And perhaps some are even completely out of place. They don't belong at all. They're, they're wrong. Um, or are they? Could it be the most important aspect of the Jesus tradition is to whom the heart beckons? In other words, what if the most important aspect of this tradition is the position of the heart, the sincerity of the devotion? the interwovenness of faith traditions all over the world overlap. You know, each year we celebrate Easter, Resurrection Sunday. And how is that established? Well, Easter falls on the first Sunday after the full moon. It's literally a date selected by the cosmos or astronomy, astrology, right? In fact, the celebration itself was it's really an adaptation of a pagan celebration um, that honors their goddess, uh, you know, goddess of fertility. And what's interesting about that is, so see, Easter is different every single year. It's on a different date every year, right? And the reason for that, again, is because Easter literally falls on the first Sunday after the full moon. Christmas also had its beginnings in paganism. It was adopted, adapted, and then practiced. Now listen, I don't have a problem with any of this. There are some people that are like, look, Christmas is pagan and so I'm not going to celebrate it. Dude, that's just ridiculous. Right? And, and what's even funnier to me is like the people who are all, you know, gung-ho about Christmas, but, you know, <laughs> they rebuke Halloween. I don't know. Talk about not knowing history, man. Um, so I don't want the podcast to become about things in the Christian faith that came from paganism, but what I'm trying to illustrate is even though the religions of the world are different from one another um, in some very significant and even important ways, that doesn't mean that those religions don't have some valuable lessons or practices within them. So the eclectic Jesus tradition right? Eclectic spirituality is just a term for the blending of traditions. And let me explain that a bit because the immediate response would be um, that that's, that sounds like watered down whatever. But actually it takes the foundation of a faith system 
or set of beliefs and without abandoning its message, it simply expands its base. It goes a level higher, building on the foundation, such as in my case, um, building on the foundation of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, the Redeemer, and then adding things to that that work for myself or for a particular person's path. And it may, uh, in many cases, may have already been present in the tradition already, but not necessarily. So, but in many cases, some practices you may think are new to the faith uh, or your faith may have already been um, a, a part of, of, uh, of the tradition, right? For instance, the Judeo-Christian tradition has a wide array of, uh, of uh, ideas, practices, ritual, and so on that have been a part of the tradition through the centuries, such as, and I'm not saying that I'm into these things, I'm just saying they've been a part of the Abrahamic God tradition. Some things um, that have been a part of the Judeo-Christian tradition that are now demonized in this day and age are things like astrology or schools of mystery, mysticism, ritual magic. Um, later on, uh, tarot cards were used within Christianity. Runes, uh, you can find the disciples using divination with runes, right? Um, you see that just after really the... Um, the, the uh, death, the crucifixion, and resurrection of Christ. And so additions to the faith would be things that strengthen the bond between that person and the divine. So in my case, the case of the Jesus tradition, a person might add to Jesus being their one and only Savior the philosophy of Buddhism or the practice of crystals, spell work, Meditation, which, by the way, I love meditation. Uh, if you don't meditate, um, there, there's a great, I forget if it's called, I think it's called How the Mind Works, but it's on Netflix. There's a great episode on Netflix about meditation and what it actually does to your mind. It's um, absolutely fascinating. If you have the opportunity to find that particular episode, uh, it's very, very very convincing and very interesting. But I personally love meditation. I do it every single day, only for about 10 or 15 minutes. But it, I, I love it. It absolutely changes the day. Uh, and I think it's really changing me as a, as a person as well. Anyway, um, so you might add those practices, crystal, spell work, meditation, uh, other metaphysical practices come to mind, such as Reiki or, 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 or chakras or yoga, right? So this form of faith is personal. It doesn't necessarily seek to be accepted um, by a religious institute or religious peers, which I highly encourage, right? Make your faith your own. It doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what everybody else says or you know their judgment on it. Your relationship with God which is interesting because we're always told that we have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Uh, but when that personal relationship becomes different than someone else's personal relationship, well, then, you know, you're in trouble. <laughs> but we're always told that we're supposed to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I think that that's really true. And I think that that's really possible. And I think that it's important. And so the form of faith 
is personal and it, it doesn't seek to be accepted by those around it. It certainly doesn't look to proselytize others to its practice either. It's a way of going deeper into any spiritual practice through the personal expression and practices that are meaningful to the individual. Does that make sense? So, if you find something that's meaningful to you and it deepens your faith and it raises your energy and it causes you to be excited about your relationship with God, then that's, that's something that you should institute as part of your spiritual practice. Now, as a caveat or as, you know, the small writing goes, you know, none of those things obviously would be something that causes harm to others. So anything that you would do would be something that would just be between you and God and it wouldn't, it wouldn't cause harm to anyone else. But I digress. Uh, several times, while not being Catholic, I have visited Catholic church buildings open to the public, right? Um, and um, in the foyer... There will be Jesus and Mary and a couple of saints who I don't honestly, um, I honestly don't know who they are. Um, but there's something that's very moving to me about lighting a candle there, thinking for a moment on my petition, thinking for a moment on the things that I want that candle to represent. Um, and the lit candle brings a bit of focus to that moment. Now, to some, that's just a candle. But to others, that, that is, a, that is a, that's a very sincere action. It's a prayer that has intention connected to it. It's devotion connected to it. And, and others might say, well, it's a form of spellcraft, which I could care less. The label isn't important. Um, What is important is the principle behind it. To me personally, what matters in that moment is the intention, the focus, the heart behind all of it. And I think that is kind of beautiful. Does it enhance the power of that prayer? Uh, you know, focus enhances um, everything. But what so many of us, you and I, are really asking is, does that practice bring greater power? And the answer is, who knows? Uh, what it does do is it creates a moment of sacredness, focus, and intention. And you can do that without a candle, but the experience, um, which does matter, changes. Um, you know... As, as a little rabbit trail, I mean, we know that elements hold a sacred kind of power to them, just like water to baptism. It's not the water. Is it really the river, the stream, the tank? Or is it the intention? Is it the connection to the element um, as part of the act? Is that what really creates 
um, I, I think attachment to the ritual and the important question, um, because a lot of forms of faith utilize elements in their sacraments, the important question is, does it create intensity and focus in the practice? And for those of us who got saved in an evangelical setting, what we really want to know is where the boundaries are, right? What, what, what's going to piss God off? <laughs> I mean, that, for, for a lot of us, I think that's one of the things that we're, you know, kind of concerned about. Um, however, I think that we can loosen the chain a little bit. For instance, various forms of divination um, were present in Judaism and Christianity um, Proverbs 16 and 33 says, uh, people cast lots to learn God's will, but God himself determines the answer. We see this again, I referenced this earlier. After the death of Judas, the disciples, they're looking for his replacement, right? And uh, the book of Acts chapter 1 says, so they nominated two men. Joseph called Barabbas, also also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen. Then they cast lots, and the lots fell to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. Now, I want you to think about something for a moment here, because these are guys that have walked with Jesus for the last three and a half years, right? They've been intensely close to him. They've heard all of his teachings, uh, they're connected, right? They're connected. And here they are in this moment of decision. And what they do essentially is they read runes. I mean, that's really what they're doing. It's a form of divination. It's no different than any other form of divination. But it was something that was a part of their practice. And it's recorded right there in the scripture. Now, I've talked about this a bit before, but I think it's important to understand that almost all religions, all of them, have an eclectic aspect to them. A communion with the divine that expands, enhances, and elevates the individual's view or understanding or experience with God. And think for a moment, when Jesus was a new thing, the disciples were really operating in faith, in gnosis, in what they felt in their hearts. Um, because Jesus is a new thing at this moment, unexpected. His words are certainly invigorating and they're a fire within the bosom of those that hear him. But there's still some danger here. There's still some bravery that takes place. There's still some stepping out from what's safe, right? What's established. And I think that's important. There was a religious rule established. There was an, a religious hierarchy established that said what was right and what was wrong and it took some stepping away the devotion of these disciples these early disciples Peter and <coughs> excuse me Paul uh, 
who came later, I understand, but um, they were stepping away from what was safe to follow the fire of God really burning within them. Um, Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. I think in Matthew 16, um, when Jesus asks his disciples, they came from uh, the region, or they came to, I think they, they, they came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, right? And they're gathered together, and Jesus says to the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they reply, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, um, others are saying Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And so then Jesus says, okay, but who do you, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, right? And he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's his answer. And Jesus says something really profound whenever he says to him, he says, blessed are you, uh, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So what Jesus is saying in that statement is, this wasn't revealed to you by the intellect of man. This wasn't revealed to you by anything that's physical. There were no books that you could read to validate what you're saying. There were no lessons taught to bring you to this conclusion, how you uh, how you have arrived at this uh, at this uh, I guess answer or conclusion, inherent truth is uh, the divine revealed it to you. Another instance where the spirit or um, the heart is used to hear. Um, is found in Luke. And this is after the crucifixion of Christ, right? The disciples are bummed out, <laughs> obviously, and they're walking along the road to Emmaus and they meet a guy, right? And the guy is actually Jesus, but they don't recognize him. Now, um, I think this is interesting, right? Um, and the Bible reads this way. Now, that same day, Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Stop there for just a moment and think about how intensely mystical God is. Jesus walks up to these guys, but he... Um, they're kept from recognizing him. So that is the mystical, mysterious side of God that, quite frankly, much of modern Christianity has destroyed, to be frank. Now the text continues, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. They still don't know who he is, right? When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, right? And he disappeared from their sight. Dude, this is the coolest 
story. <laughs> this is just great, is it not? Right? Jesus comes up, the crucified Christ, the resurrected Jesus comes up to them, but he doesn't allow them to see who he is. He goes with them, breaks bread, and then suddenly their eyes are open and they recognize, dude, it's Jesus, right? And then he disappears. What a mysterious, interesting God you and I are involved with. Uh, so then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Now, what I like about this is God's inclusion of the heart. Heart here in this context is actually a cool Greek word, cardia, which makes total sense, right? Uh, but what it really means is not the physical heart, obviously, but the very center of our being. So they were inspired. They were on fire with um, the words of Jesus, even though they didn't know it was him. But their hearts were a form of validation. So while the heart can be troublesome, even deceitful, according to the Old Testament, our inner man, in its purest form, is also very intuitive. It's very discerning, and it is a guide for a lot of us. Finally, you know, we live in a very different era than we've ever lived before. So many of the belief systems in the ages past were really a matter of real estate. In other words, so many of the gods that thrived in ages past were very territorial, uh, they were the religion of that geographical location. And because travel, particularly long-distance travel, wasn't really practical, the practices, the stories, the gods, all that kind of stuff, um, they, were, they were a little bit confined to a specific area. Where socially, uh, parentally, uh, these things were inherited. The world was very disconnected from one another. Today, however, we live in an age where we are intensely connected to just about everything. The answer to so many questions is just a keystroke away. Information on any philosophy or religion or idea or how to fix a car or, you know, make a perfect margarita, right? It's just about anything can be discovered on your phone. While my gorgeous stunning wife and I were in Eureka Springs, man. I don't, I'm not, I wasn't, so my wife was raised Catholic. I, um, my parents were kind of uh, corporate hippies, so my my parents were really hippies, but like they got an education and, and a job. <laughs> but they still had that mentality, so my upbringing was probably not overly, well, it wasn't, it wasn't very religious. So, Anyway, and it certainly isn't, wasn't Catholic, so a lot of the stories I really don't know. So we're at this Catholic church. What is that church? It's in Eureka Springs. Um, I absolutely love it, and I can't think of the name of it. Wow. 
I've only been there a million times. Anyway, uh, you enter in through the bell tower, and uh, just a beautiful, absolutely breathtaking um, church. Um, but outside of it, there's a statue, the Lady of Fatima, right? I have no idea who that is. And so I said to my beautiful wife, who is this? What is this, right? And she tells me the story of this lady who appears to these children and just gives them all kinds of information. And of course, in the beginning, nobody believes them. But later on, it becomes whatever you think it is. I don't really care what you think it is. <laughs> but, but whatever it is, it's real, right? And um, it's just this really beautiful story about a visitation from a celestial, heavenly being who gives information to these young children. It, it's a fascinating story. So she's telling it to me, right, in the, with, with a little bit of, of, of brevity attached because we're hanging out, you know. And so I jump on my phone, right, and I read the story. And I'm no longer shielded or ignorant of that occurrence because within seconds I can pull it up on Google or whatever you, you're into. So today we live in an age where we are connected to just about everything, right? There's not a whole lot that's off limit to us that we can't find out about. So to say a specific practice wasn't done by the early church or, well, that's not in the Bible, that could really be merely a product of location. In this age, that's not really an issue. I understand the faith fueled by fear because I still have that, right? I still am afraid of pissing God off or going to hell forever, oh, even though I don't believe in it. <laughs> I still have it a little bit. I have a good friend of mine who's an atheist, right? I, I know you guys hate the rabbit trails. I have a friend of mine who's an absolute atheist still won't watch the movie The Exorcist because it scares the hell out of him, right? He's afraid he's going to get possessed. He doesn't even believe in it, but it's still, it's, it's uh, you know, it's residue left from a previous time. And a lot, of, a lot of us, you and I, we have that. So this residue from past experiences, teachings, ideas of others, it's still on us, right? Covers us a little bit. But I think if we would allow ourselves to be expanded by the age that we live in, because I don't think faith fueled by fear is healthy. I do think in an era of such connectiveness in the, that any religion is bound for expansion, right? Um, ritually, philosophically, um, intellectually, in the truest sense of the Jesus tradition, who have a past of casting lots, raising the dead, speaking in tongues, a savior uh, first discovered by astrologers, um, I am just not convinced that all the things the church has demonized through the years, um, I'm, I'm not convinced that it's been beneficial to you and I. I, I think we left a few things in the shadows that don't really belong there. 
These are exciting times. We now have opportunities to learn outside of that structure, to go beyond um, everything that we've seen before, to building something new, to learn something new about God, about ourselves. It's really a time of change and expansion. That doesn't mean we're falling away or diluting or compromising our connection to Jesus Christ. And I will tell you, um, Jesus, to me, Jesus is absolutely the Christ. Um, He's the ground of my being. Absolutely. Um, But what we learn may not necessarily be perfect for the person next to us or for our child or our parent or our lover, right? But something that is perfect for us as individuals, for our personal spiritual path, for our relationship with Christ. In a long history of learners and seekers and trailblazers, why should we be so reluctant to go deeper? Why should we be so reluctant to expand? So, there it is. That's it, man. I think that it is time for us to blaze some trails. I think it's time for us to make our relationship with Jesus, the Christ, um, more personal. And that we need to begin to add ritual and idea and other aspects to our faith that enhance our relationship with God. Not something that is a threat to it, certainly not. But something that brings greater passion, intensity, and meaning to our practice, to our personal tradition. All right, guys, so that's it, man. I have talked long enough. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. Would love to hear maybe some of the things that you're doing, right, in your own personal practice, your own personal tradition, whether it's meditation or various forms of spellcraft or tarot cards or the Tao, Buddhism. Uh, What is it that you're doing, man? Lighting candles, sitting out by the moon, whatever it is. I'd love to hear more about how your spiritual path with, uh, with Jesus in this eclectic tradition. I'd love to hear how you're making it personal to you. Thanks again, guys. Jump online, follow the Black Sheep Experience, share, 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 and I'll catch you next week. God bless you guys. Done. (laughs) 